was Bear Watson. That was the Beth Moore simulcast that's taking place in um, September. The dates are, I know, on the left in the foyer. If you want more information on that Beth Moore simulcast, then you can check that out in the foyer to my left following the service today. We're family, and this morning I want to talk to you about family interaction. Next Sunday, I want to talk about family roles, but this Sunday, family interaction. Lord, this morning, we are grateful that we are part of a family. God, we know that family means something to you. It means something to us. And I pray, God, these next Sundays, as we make this our focus, that this would be uh, a change of life for us, that we'd be so conscious of what is involved in being part of a family. And especially this morning, God, I pray for your words. I pray, God, that I'd only speak what I should share today as we look at how we ought to function together as a family. We are community. We rub shoulders with each other. We speak with each other. And, Lord, that means that we must be very, very conscious of how we act and what we say and do as part of the family. For it's in your name we ask it. Amen. There's nothing in all the world, I mentioned last Sunday morning, there's nothing in all the world quite like the family. It's the very fabric that keeps our society together. It's foundational to our existence. So as I mentioned last Sunday, I want to mention again this morning that to destroy the family is to destroy ourselves. If we destroy the family, everything comes crashing in. We ever needed family preservation, we need it today. If you ever needed to nurture the family, we need to nurture the family today. If we ever needed to guard and stand watch over our families, we need to do that today. And if we ever needed to inject health into the family, we need to do that today. Family unity, we need it. Family health, it's needed. Family needs prayer. I'm sure this morning as you would agree with me that as you look at your personal homes and your families, you would agree, yes, we need to inject health into our home families as much as we can. It's vital that the family is solid and secure, and that involves many times what we say and what we do. Well, as pastor of the church, it also is top priority for me. To guard over the family. My home is my haven, but the church family is also meant to be a haven, or better yet still, a little taste of heaven here on earth. And it's people in the church that make that or break that, isn't it? So I need to continually promote family church health. A healthy church is a Growing church, and I believe that a healthy church will just naturally grow because it'll free itself up to do and liberate the church to do what God has called it to do. There's nothing like an unhealthy church that will stumble and stutter and spot a church from doing and keep it from doing all that God wants it to accomplish on this earth. Well, John chapter 17, where many of us are familiar with that, that that chapter 
is entitled at the top of my Bible, The Prayer of Jesus. And Jesus prays for many things in John chapter 17. And one of the things he prays for in verse 21 is he begins to pray for every believer. He says, I pray for all believers that come after me. After I surrender my life up on this earth and die on the cross, go back to be with Jesus, I pray for future believers. I pray for present believers. And here's what he said as he prayed to God, God, I pray that they all may be one just as I am in you and you are in me. I pray that they all be one. Many years ago, Tommy Tenney wrote a book, many books he wrote, but In one of his books he wrote, he mentioned John chapter 17, and he said this about Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. He said, this is the only unanswered prayer of Jesus. Oh, when I read that, I first wanted to disagree. The only unanswered prayer of Jesus, because he said, the church is still not one. I don't know whether you agree with Tommy Tenney or not. Is he wrong? Is he right? You decide. But he said we still are not functioning, one, as the body of Christ that Jesus prayed that we'd be. Well, it's something I never, ever forgot. And since he said that, I've kind of made that my goal. I want to do my best of my, to the best of my ability. I want to promote unity and health and strength and oneness in the body of Christ. Because I want that prayer of Jesus to be answered through my life and through our church. Let's face it. The word dysfunctional is a common word today. The word dysfunctional. Home families are dysfunctional. Today, television has changed so much recently. And they say that today's television is a reality TV. And we know that more and more people are tuning in to view the lifestyle of dysfunctional families. Remember, leave it to Beaver. The leave it to Beaver families. Father knows best. And what about, I think it was the Cunninghams on Happy Days. Where it was like they were functional families. They were units. They were one. There was Yes, they had their challenges, as every family does, but we would look at those and say those were functional families. And today, it's harder and harder to find a functional family on television. The word dysfunctional often comes. We're losing our models. The models that we can stretch and reach up for. I want to be like that family. I want to be like this family, but we've got... Too many of them that are dysfunctional, and we're losing the models. I've been a pastor long enough to know that in reality, many churches are dysfunctional. Not just many families are dysfunctional, but many churches are dysfunctional. A pastor left the door open. A staff member left the door open. A board member left the door open. A ministry leader left the door open. A member in the church left the door open. And waltzing in came the trickster. Waltzing in came the liar and the thief. And we know who he is. As I mentioned, the liar and thief this morning. He is the enemy, Satan himself. And we open up these doors. And sometimes the church 
body does not even recognize what they have done. Opened up the door and he came waltzing in and took over. And they, the church became dysfunctional. And after they became dysfunctional, they became non-effective. I can tell you a church at this point in time, a church that one time was thriving and growing, but has been reduced just to a handful of people because they became dysfunctional within themselves. They began to be bitter. They began to do infighting. And because of that, they became dysfunctional. Because of that, nobody wanted to go to the church. I don't want to go there. i got enough problems of my own. And it can happen very easy in any body of Christ. So my prayer this fall and winter is for continued and greater church family unity, greater church family function. You see, when the church is functioning as Christ intended it to, oh, the church can be the greatest hospital, I believe, on the face of this earth. When the church is functioning the way God intended it to, it can be a place of signs and wonders and miracles. And when the church is functioning as God intended it to, it can be a place filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't the Bible say, don't quench the Holy Spirit. We can quench Him by opening up doors and allowing the enemy to come in and disrupt and destroy a fast-moving church going ahead for Jesus. Oh, when the church is functioning as Christ intended it to, it can be a place where great exploits can be attempted and achieved. It can be a place of hiding and safety for the bruised and the battered and the beaten. Oh, it can be a place where we can be pleased to bring our unbelieving friends. I want to take it in my church. Why do you want to bring them? Because it's healthy. It's functioning. It's operating the way Christ intended it to operate. Oh, when a church is functioning as Christ intended it to, it can be a place where we joyfully declare, oh, this is my church. And I'm happy to declare it to anybody. I, could, I don't just go there, but it's my church, my body. I'm involved there in that church. When a church is simply functioning the way Christ intended it to be, it can be a place where we collectively as a body become the answer to Jesus' prayer for unity. In John chapter 17, we can be an answer to Jesus' prayer. We can say, yes, I will be that one body of Christ. I'll do my best. Oh, church like that, I want you to know, will be a dynamic church. We always talk about churches changing communities. A church will change a community when the community sees the church is one. How many believe that? A few of you. Many of you. All of you. That's when a, a church is, impacts a city when they see the family unit is one. How many wants your church to be a dynamic and powerhouse church for Jesus just like that? Sure you do. If you believe that and you desire that, say this with me. Unity begins with me. Unity begins with me. Let's say it again. Unity begins with me. It doesn't begin with somebody else. If someone else would just get their act together. No, no. 
Unity begins with this little God right here. And the same with you. That's where it all starts. I remember my first district superintendent. He, he gave me many, many words of wisdom. When I went into the ministry, one of them was. If you can do anything else and be happy, do it. I had to sit on that one for a while. The other word of wisdom he gave to me was this. He said, Gary, when you go in the ministry, you will at some point in time, there'll be certain information that you will take with you to your grave. Because if to speak it out and to share it would only cause disruption and unity in the church that you're pastoring. I didn't know about it then, but I tucked that in the back of my mind. There's going to be certain information that will never pass through my lips because to do so would cause certain disruption and in the church body. You see, all of us have just enough information to be dangerous. <laughs> all of us have just enough information to be disruptive. If you would just speak it out. If you would just say it, it would cause division in a group. See, church family unity depends upon me. Church family unity depends upon you. I mean, who could not be thrilled with what was taking place as we surprised you last Sunday morning between the two services? An hour long, eat and greet all the Pulled pork was incredible. The weather, we all know, helped make things more and more enjoyable. And the seating in the front, the sunshine and the fun and the fellowship and the new people, the interacting together and people driving by, viewing in. I noticed cars driving by, taking a look. They're checking out the church fellowship. They're looking at the church family. We had an incredible, the atmosphere was electric. I tell you, I went home and I said, thank God for the fellowship. Thank God for the body. Thank God for these times together. And then in the afternoon, we came back to our first singing Christmas tree practice, choir practice. And what a sense of excitement there was in the group again. That's what a church functions like when a church is united, when a church is one, when a body knows exactly where it's going. Last Sunday, Doug Lynch, he, he shared the devotion, our first devotion of the choir practices. And as he was sharing and as I was listening to what he was saying, I found myself thinking these words, God, you have done great and mighty things in that man's life. And there he is right now, standing in front of people, encouraging them. God, I thank you for this man. I thank you for what you've done in his life. The church reaching and doing its full potential. The church, nothing quite like it. And two Saturdays ago, the free yard sale. Who ever heard of giving away a nice washer and dryer, only one year old? That's what we did one instance. So many other things as well. Nice things. Very nice. Giving them a free yard sale, a free car wash. They had hamburgers. I had a double, double beef hamburger, not just a single. People came, how much? Nothing. It's free. Just take it. 
There's nothing but excitement that's generated out of that. Nothing like, thank you, God, for what you're doing. I never want to give up. Never want to surrender those marvelous times, those great ministries that we can do because we are one. Because we are united. Because we know where we're going. And because we stand and fight for each other. We love each other. And we don't want to hinder the great things that God can do through us. Don't ever take it for granted. This morning, that's why this sermon on church family interaction at the beginning of this church year, because I want to have an explosive church year. I want to see our church accomplish things we never thought we could ever accomplish. But because we're one, Jesus says, I can dwell among them. I send my spirit. I will empower them to do great, mighty things. There's some people I know that you've talked to them. I have too, that they did not want to go home to their family because it's dysfunctional. There's some people I've talked to, people like this too. They don't want to go to church again. Why? Because they've been in too many dysfunctional churches. They say, I've had enough of dysfunctional churches. And you can't blame them if they've been to many churches that can't get their act together. You can't blame them if they've been to churches where they're fighting and infighting and bickering and complaining. Who needs that? I don't need that. You don't need that. But what we have, we have got to treasure. So I thought about this last week. Thought about and how do we maintain unity? How do we keep the flow? How do we keep on being one as a family? So I got four things came to my mind. The first one is this. Recount, recount, recount the grace of a loving God. Recount the grace of a loving God in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me take you to that scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It's one of the scriptures that I mentioned last week. I think I have it up here as well on the PowerPoint. Paul said these words to the Ephesian congregation. He said, consequently, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Oh, just get this picture. It's a marvelous picture built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a great picture of the church. He says, consequently, you're no longer outside. You're no longer a prisoner. You're no longer a foreigner. Now that word consequently, it means these words, it means therefore. The word consequently means as a result of. The word consequently means in light of. And I think that if I could read into what Paul is saying here to the Ephesians, he's saying it like this. Yes, we are church family. Yes, we belong. Yes, we are loved. Yes, we are appreciated. Yes, we are respected. But what enabled us to be here in this marvelous faith family, consequently, in light of something else. He's saying to them, that church family faith position is based upon what I've spoken to you previously about. If you back up to Ephesians 2 and verse 1, 
And he talks about the grace, the grace of God. And he talks in Ephesians 2 verse 1, he says, For as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the, the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who now is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings, desires of the flesh. We were lost. We were ruined. We were heading for destruction. But verse I think it's verse 4. Yes, verse 4 says, but God stepped in. Verse 8 says, it's by grace we are saved through faith. This is where you once were. And I'm saying this morning, don't ever forget the grace of God. The grace of God that reached down and rescued you. Oh, it goes on to say, by grace you are saved through faith. Not of your works, lest any man should boast. It goes on to say further that we are now his workmanship. God is doing great and marvelous things through us. Paul is saying, that's where you once were, to the Ephesian congregation. Oh, we need to recount the grace, the grace, the grace of God. The hymn writer had it so accurate when he said grace, grace. God's grace that will pardon and cleanse within His grace. Why do you recount? You recount so you don't misuse or abuse or take for granted your position. Without His grace, you and I are eternally lost. Without His grace, you and I are hopelessly stuck in our sins. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Oh, would you do me a favor? Number one, recount. Recount the grace of the Lord. It's not always good to look in reverse, but sometimes it is good to look back and say, I once was there, but now I'm here. Oh, I believe that's a good thing to maintaining church family unity, recounting the grace of a loving God for you. He had mercy on you. He looked past your faults and he loved you for who you were. How to move on, number two. How to maintain church family unity. Remember, the tongue has destructive potential. Always. The tongue will always have destructive potential. Now, I've got two facts under this one. The first one is this. James says that the tongue is a nasty little piece of flesh. Oh, he says, it's a nasty one. It's the smallest member of your body but it's guilty of starting wars against nations. It's guilty of causing innocent people's lives to be lost. Oh, that little tongue of ours is guilty of unleashing the power of the devil. Oh, it's guilty of giving the enemy all the room he needs to paralyze any church. That's how powerful that little member is. Oh, James says it's a nasty little piece of flesh. Oh, if he can just possess and use our tongues, he can destroy our ministries. If he can just possess and take control of this little piece of flesh, he can destroy the ministry of a church. He can cause the church to fold in on itself. If we can just get people to surrender their tongues over to the enemy. That's fact number one. 
It can corrupt every part of you and set the whole course of your life on fire. And that fire is from the fires of hell. That's what James says in James chapter 3. It's from the fires of hell. Fact number two. Did you know that you and I, there were, we are unable to tame or control that tongue? Well, that's what James tells us. Chapter 3 and verse 8, you can't control it. See, what comes natural to you and I, to let the natural man take control of us, naturally we want to speak words of death. What comes natural to us is to speak words that tear down, to lash out and gossip and stir up trouble and ridiculing lie and curse someone and criticize. That comes natural to us. That's a natural reaction or process. I found it interesting last week as I looked at this scripture that it's not a sleeping evil. No, James says it's a restless evil. The tongue is a restless evil. Ever had a restless night? Ever had a restlessness feeling? That means you're not content. That means you're stirring. That's what James says the tongue is like when the enemy gets a hold of it. It's not a, it's not a, a content to just sit there, tosses and turns and yearns to spit out his poisonous venom. Oof. Ever get stung by a wasp? How many got stung this summer from a wasp? Anybody? A few of you did. I did. I had my experience. One, uh, this was a week and a half ago. I leave in the office and sat, got in my car and there's a wasp sitting on my seat right behind me. I didn't see him. And I'm sitting, sat against the seat and right in the most tender area. Oh, he just stuck that, whatever that was, needle in my system. Well, the first thing I thought was, that feels uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I jumped. Of course I did. I looked behind. I was going to swat him, but I said, no, he might sting me again. So I... Ushered him out gently. Got him out. You will sting no more. But I remember thinking just after that happened, you know, I've always heard about these wasps, and that wasn't that bad. You know, but five minutes later, then I began to feel my arm get paralyzed. I couldn't move it. No, no. I could just feel that as a poisonous venom, I don't know, but I could feel it going into my muscles. And you know something? I suffered with that. Have mercy on me. I suffered with that. And I milked it when I went home. Lana. She put vinegar on. I can't reach it to scratch it. Can you scratch it for me? I suffered for two days. Just a little wasp. Just a little poison. Just a little stinger. Wasn't all that bad, was it? Just a little word. Just a little poisonous word. Spoken. That's all. But all the pain that can follow from a word that is spoken that is not right. We sometimes don't even know we're doing it. Just a little wasp. Just a little word. Converting the heart is very, very easy compared to the tongue. And the the tongue is, that's another story. You see, when I look at this, I begin to think about Paul the Apostle. and, And he talked about life 
in the flesh in Romans chapter 7. And he talked about the flesh being weak. And the great apostle Paul said, you know, I want you to know, readers, I want you to know that I struggle with sin too. In Romans chapter 27, verse 25, he says, so who is it that's going to rescue me from this body, from this natural desire, this, this flesh of mine? He said, I he knew he couldn't do it. And though he says, it's going to be Jesus Christ, my Lord. He's the one I know that can rescue me from this body of death, he says. Then he goes on. If you continue to go into chapter 8, he begins to talk about living life in the Spirit. See, life in the Spirit has got to be a day-by-day process of dying to self so that we can be led by the Spirit day-by-day. Every day you've got to get up and say, I die to flesh. Every day you've got to get up and say, I choose to live life by the Spirit today because if I let the flesh dominate me, I may say words I shouldn't say. I may hurt someone. I might just say a poisonous word. And I'll tell you, when you do that, it, it, it takes you to living life in the supernatural. So you, no, you cannot control the tongue. But as you die to flesh and live life in the Spirit, read Romans chapter 8 when you go home. He tells you how to do it. Then you will live by supernatural means. Then you will supernaturally begin to bless each other. It wouldn't be within yourself to naturally do that. But because you want to live life in the Spirit, now you begin to exhort Now you begin to build up. Now you begin to see the big picture of the church and the mission and the desire and the goals and the vision. And you want to be part of that. And so because of that, you only speak words that will exhort and build up and comfort and lead people on and motivate them. He say, it's not me. Do it for 21 days, they say. Then it'll become a habit. You're not being a hypocrite to say things you don't feel. You start saying it, soon you'll feel it. Good spot to say amen. Amen, Gary. What goes around comes around. It's a law of God. Give and it shall be given. That's Jesus' law. You give out blessing, you're going to get them back. Okay, I've got to move on. Number three. How to maintain unity. Fam- Realize this. Family disruption will always be closer than you think. And I'm going to wrap up like in... Three minutes. Believe that. And Anyways. Family disruption will always be closer than you think. You would think that a healthy growing church could build up an immune system. Just like when you go to the bank, deposit, 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 deposit. You build up a big bank account so you never do without. You'll always have something there. And you would think that a church, healthy church, would just keep on building, keep on building an immune system. That's not so. I read an article one time with the famous last words of a pastor. It had many different statements there, statements in there. One of the statements were this. I think that I've earned the right to say this. Last words of a pastor. Not quite so, pastor. I often tell our staff when we get together every Tuesday afternoon, I often tell them this. I say, I want you to realize that we're only this far away ever from a major church faith family problem that could hinder and alter effective ministry. We're always just this far away, not leaps and bounds, always just this far. Trouble and disunity, disruption is always just one word or one situation away, and you should, you need to realize that. Lastly, fourthly, how to maintain family unity that we have today, recite 
the unity question often. Does what I'm about to say or do build family unity or does it destroy family unity? Think before you speak. Is what I'm going to say or do cause problems, disruption in the life of the church or is it going to build unity? Very simple process, just think before you speak. Stand with me as the worship team come. The words of that song, We Are Family, I have all my sisters and me. We are family. And it says, everybody get up and dance. That talks about a celebration. Celebration. The church ought to be a, a place where celebration happens. Don't you agree? Where we sense the power of the Holy Spirit and God doing great things. And if we want there to be a celebration atmosphere in the church throughout this year, let us be very, very conscious that unity begins with me. Unity begins with me. Treasure those relationships that you now have. Be cautious with your words as you interact. Only say what will be pleasing to the Lord, honoring to Him. Be careful. Be careful. For a little children's courses, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. I, I think that's part of that verse. If not, I just made it up. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. And we need to go back and just be just like a child. Teachable, learnable. So God, I first of all close this service by giving you thanks, giving you praise for what you have built. What you put together, we, we read about it this morning, built together, stone by stone, brick by brick. Thank you, God. I praise you. Thank you for the family. Thank you for the potential of the family this morning. What we can do when we are one. What we can do when we'll guard the body. Oh, Lord, we can do great things, can't we? So, God, we rely upon you. prayer this morning as Pastor Gary leads in a concluding song. I just want you to feel free to step up. Every Sunday we want to give you an opportunity for family ministry to take place. Just step up, come to the front and we'll agree with you and pray with you for whatever needs you might have.
us this week. Help us, Lord, to be desirous to live life in the Spirit, as Paul the Apostle encouraged us to. And we will see remarkable things happen through us. Thank you, Lord, for the Spirit that is with us to help us and to guide us. We give you praise. great week. God bless you. Yeah.